right, we are jumping into 1 Corinthians. We are about to experience an incredible ride into the lives of a community of first-generation Christians. We will see their strengths and their weaknesses, this small group in Corinth, and... um, we'll see that this is one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. Their strengths and weaknesses, by the way, aren't very different from our own. And we'll watch this dude, Paul. We're becoming more and more familiar with Paul. This man and his mission in the Acts of the Apostles, we were introduced to him and we learned of his conversion and God's preparation for what would become his ministry and life's work, right? And then in Romans, we became acquainted with Paul, the theologian and evangelist. And now in 1 Corinthians, we will see Paul, the pastor, the teacher with uh, apostolic authority and with his God-given commission to the Gentiles, right? Right? He founded this Christian community in Corinth, and he looked after it uh, like a shepherd looking after sheep. We will see him uh, respond to their questions that they had, as well as respond to their situations as they are brought to Paul's attention. And with um, what I would call unabashed uh, transparency, we'll see Paul reveal himself to the Corinthian church as he teaches them and admonishes them out of his genuine love and compassion for them. And by the way, many of us, myself included, would be, we we would do well to take a page out of uh, Paul's book on transparency. Some of us like to portray an image whereby we hope that people will think we have it all together, don't we? We are taught uh, from a young age by family and by friends and just by the world that we live in that to show any type of transparency is to show weakness. Uh, It's to leave oneself open to vulnerabilities whereby others can take advantage of us. And so we are ingrained with this age-old adage, you know, never let them see you sweat, right? But this is not true of how Christians should be, is it? It's not true of how the Christian church should behave. It wasn't Paul's way. Paul led others so well because he identified with them in a very real way, in a way that they could Relate a very transparent way. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 1 and through 3, um, he said, when I came to you, when I came to you Corinthians, okay, the first time, I did not come with superiority of speech or uh, of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He says, for I determined to know nothing Nothing 
among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he goes on, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's pretty transparent, wouldn't you say? We know that um, some people described Paul's very presence as uh, unimpressive and his speech as contemptible. Paul said that himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. And we see that Paul didn't necessarily have it all together. He was far from perfect. And here's the most important thing about that, or about that in this regard. He didn't attempt to hide it. He didn't attempt to fake it. He knew what he was good at, and he knew what he wasn't good at. He admitted to his friends in Corinth that he was weak, fearful, and trembling when he stood before them. This is the um, admirable transparency of what I would consider to be a genuine servant leader. You've heard the expression servant leadership. That was the kind of leadership that Jesus gave us, servant leadership. Um, the kind of leader that everyone wants to get behind, or at least every Christian who knows Scripture should want to get behind. I'd like us to keep this in mind about Paul as we go through this letter. I'd also like us to think about how this, as um, about how this is as it relates to our own lives. Okay, our own person. And if you would like, by the way, if you're taking notes, you'd like to read a good book. I'd call it a great book on servant uh, leadership and transparency of leadership. There's one called Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. It's a, it's a classic. Rudy and I used to um, walk all of our campus leaders through that book before we released them in, into leadership amongst um, the student population. Now, one other thing about Paul regarding the scriptures that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 3, and that's this. Paul said, now I'm reading it again, second time, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, that one verse, folks, okay, Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 2 sums up Paul's entire ministry. It's his calling card. It's his motto. It's his constitution. It's his institution. It's his battle cry. It's his sum of all his beliefs and ideals. It's what he lives for. It's the very next breath that Paul takes. And that is this, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was Paul's number one shtick. And this should be our motto also in every conceivable way, church. Every circumstance, every direction, we should be preaching Christ and him crucified. You might say, oh, you know, Mike, 
you don't understand. I'm not good with words. Uh, in fact, just thinking about uh, talking to other people about Jesus makes me afraid. It makes me tremble. I get all nervous inside. That's great. It's fantastic because that was Paul. Paul said so himself in verse 3. Remember, I just read it a moment ago. He said it to the Corinthians. He said, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. Proclaiming Christ and Christ crucified. And those same words and the same action that backs them up should be our number one priority in this life. You know, when the, the repairman comes to your home, it should be your number one priority to try and engage in a conversation about God and share Christ with him. I'll typically say something when a repairman comes to my house, um, something like, do you go to church? Or where do you go to church? And if they're older, I'll ask them um, where they went to school. Because chances are, if they're older and they live in Pittsburgh, they went to a Catholic grade school and probably a public high school. And there are a million different ways that you can get into a conversation with someone about the Lord, especially when they are pigeonholing contained in your house and can't go anywhere, okay? And what about like when you're invited out in public? Let's say you're invited to a wedding and you're sitting there at a table with couples that you don't know. How many of you have ever been there, okay? And you think to yourself, why did they sit us here? Why didn't they sit us over there, you know? So your number one priority at that table should be to strike up a conversation with someone and share Christ with them, Christ crucified before the night's over. If we're at a Catholic wedding, I would typically say, uh, you know, to one of the couples at the table, uh, you know, did you have a Catholic wedding or did you guys have a Protestant wedding? wedding. Or um, if they say they had a Protestant wedding, I'll say something like, you know, what church did you grow up in? And that typically is all you need to say to get the ball rolling. And they're either going to, um, I hate to word it this way, they're either going to take the bait and they're going to converse with you about the Lord or they're going to converse with you about God to be nice or they're going to shut you down right out of the chute. Either way, you got to try and you got to find out. How else are you going to share Christ with people if you don't, okay? Anyway, um, one of the things that's very ineffective, by the way, of sharing Christ and him crucified is to go around asking everybody if they're, if they're saved. How many of you have been there, you know? Um, I've been ministering with um, other people and other ministers who do that, and it, it's... <laughs> an exercise in futility. It's not how you start a conversation with people. Anyway, um, you can even do things like, yeah, I've often said to people who, um, will, you know, people that are wearing, wearing a gold uh, crucifix uh, necklace, you know, uh, I'll just strike up a conversation by saying, you know, that, that's a pretty necklace. That's a pretty crucifix. Um, 
Did you get that for your first Holy Communion? Did you get that for your confirmation? Was that a gift? And strike up a conversation about it. There are a plethora of inroads that you could take into a conversation with someone to inquire whether or not they attend church, believe in God, or believe in anything for that matter. The Apostle Paul, folks, he shared Christ everywhere he went. And so did every other Christian in the first century. And so the question I have for you is, why aren't we? Why aren't we doing the same? You might say, oh, you know, people might not like me. I might get fired. Okay. Paul and most of the other disciples got dead for sharing the gospel. So getting fired doesn't seem all that bad. Now, does it? But in all seriousness, if you are smart about it and you pray for the Lord to open up a window for you to have a conversation with someone at work, you most likely will not get fired. If you talk to a coworker over lunch or at the gym or at the water fountain, you're probably not going to lose your job. My experience and the experience of others that I know uh, are that if you just subtly and tactfully let people at work know that you are a Christian, they will come to you. When they have cancer, they will come to you for prayer. When they find out that their spouse is cheating on them, they will come to you for prayer. When they get in any kind of trouble, if their child is sick, or God forbid their child is dying, they will come to you knowing that you're a Christian and ask you to pray for them. You with me? Mm-hmm. That gets sense. So we need to be very serious, folks, like Paul, about sharing Christ and him crucified. We need to look for opportunities and we need to make it a priority in our lives. It's something that we are all commissioned to do. Great commission. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Be a servant leader like Paul and let the cross of Christ be your proclamation. Tell people what Christ has saved them from or what he can save them from. Tell them that they can be free from sin. Tell them they could be free from guilt and that they could be free from baggage. They don't have to carry that stuff around with them. Tell them that they can have joy and they can have peace in Christ. Peace is a big deal. That's why in the Middle East, everywhere in the Middle East, peace be with you, the kiss of peace. It's it's a greeting. It's the most common greeting that there is in the world. Peace be with you. All right, moving on. Paul established this Christian community in Corinth around year 51 on his second missionary journey. And this commercial city was very highly trafficked 
It was a highly trafficked seaport, and as such, a melting pot for all sorts of characters, all sorts of enthusiasts who devoted themselves to various pagan cults and a good dose of moral depravity of the grandest sort. Just read it in a history book. You'll see what Corinth was like. It's no different than the world today. Okay? Just like the world we're living in right now, where a man and a woman are no longer defined by the biology they were assigned with at birth by Almighty God. There's no difference in the world we live in today and the world Paul faced in the city of Corinth. There's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, and he was right. As such, the Corinth soil, okay, was great for planting and growing and harvesting. And as such, we can see that Paul had some moderate success in Corinth when he preached the gospel there, didn't he? How do we know this? Well, as usual, Scripture interprets Scripture. But, you know, Scripture is also supported here by recorded history in the Acts of uh, the Apostles. Let's just read this. I'm going to read this again, and I want you to follow along with me. If you would, turn to Acts um, 18. I know Jason already read it, but I want to read it again and um, highlight some things. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. By the way, this is where secular history supports Scripture. It was the uh, Roman non-Christian, Roman uh, historian Suetonius, who wrote about Claudius expelling all the Jews uh, in, in Rome. Okay? And... He went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, this is Paul seeing Aquila and Priscilla, he was the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned, remember, I highlighted this when we studied Acts, did a whole sermon on it. He reasoned in the Sabbath, or in the synagogue, every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay? We need to reason with people and try to persuade them about Christ. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Are you occupied with the word are you occupied with the word of God? Are you occupied with the gospel 
testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus, verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, just in case you were looking for unicorns and rainbows, when you reason and testify, sometimes people are going to oppose you and revile you. Um, He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. As usual, the Jews didn't care for what Paul was saying, and he went to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Wouldn't you love to be labeled that way? You know? I'm going over to Jason's, the worshiper of God. You know, Jason. His, His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, our breakfast cereal, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. A year and a half. For him to feel the need to stay a year and a half, um, he must have been having some success. Otherwise, he wouldn't have stayed. Now, by the way, uh, I'm sorry, I already said that. Scratch that, okay? We know that, um, oh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 29, if you'll turn there. This is something that's not talked about very much, but I'd like to point it out. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. It not only shows that, this passage not only shows that um, plainly uh, that Paul was having success, um, it, it shows that Paul, who Paul was having success with, who he was winning to the faith. Many of the city's poor, underprivileged, disenfranchised, the weak instruments as they're called in scripture. Um, Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. The world didn't think you were a big shot. You were just basically average Joe or Joe nobody, okay? Um, Wise according according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, okay? You didn't have great position. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And in Acts chapter 18, you don't have to go there, Acts chapter 18 Um, 27 and 28, we see that after Paul left Corinth 
an eloquent man, Luke says, an Alexandrian uh, Jewish Christian named Apollos, okay, devoted himself to great service in this Christian community at Corinth, doing what? Expounding from the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. There we have it again. Okay? We need to know how, folks, as Christians, to expound from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. We need to know how to walk someone through that in the conversation at the wedding or when the repairman's in your house. You need to be able to, in a few sentences, in a very short period of time, explain why Jesus is the Christ. Most Christians can't do that. So, Paul, now, let's fast forward, was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and he received some disquieting news. I'm shifting gears from Apollos back to Paul. He, he received some disquieting news about Corinth, Okay? The church community there was displaying open dissension and discord concerning one another. It appeared that certain members of the Christian community were identifying themselves exclusively with certain individual leaders. And in addition, they were interpreting certain Christian teaching as superior wisdom for an initiated few. And we see that, if you want to write it down, in 1 Corinthians 1.10 and 1 Corinthians 4.21. Again, this is just an introduction today. We're going to get into this stuff very specifically. Now, remember, this is where Paul says, there should be no divisions among you. For it has been reported to me, okay, he's in Ephesus, it's been reported to me that you are quarreling <clears throat> and that one is saying, I follow Paul, and another saying, I follow Apollos. That's why I mentioned who Apollos was, okay? And yet another, I follow Cephas. And Paul tells them that they should all be united and of the same mind, with no divisions. One was bragging because they were baptized by um, someone else. One was bragging because they were um, baptized by someone other than that person. Okay? And in verse 17, we see, um, I'm sorry, I should say, um, in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three, we see this, for Christ did not, this is Paul, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. So you say, you guys are bragging about who you're baptized by, which apostle baptized you, or which disciple baptized you, and he's saying, look, baptism is important, but who baptized you is not important. Baptism is important but it's not as important of the cross of Christ and preaching salvation through that cross of Christ. 
okay? So I just want you to see this as we do the introduction here this morning. Paul is developing a theme, and we'll see this through the entire book, 1 Corinthians, the theme that Christ is crucified, the theme where Paul is going to preach the cross, and he's going to preach the gospel over and over and over again. It's his number one priority. It is the thematic thread throughout the entire book. And another problem Paul had to deal with was that the community lacked the guts to take appropriate action against one of its members who was living publicly in an incestuous union, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Other members of the church, same church, uh, engaged in legal conflicts in pagan courts of law. So we've got bragging, we've got um, division, infighting, uh, we've got an incestuous union, and now we have legal conflicts, Christians suing each other in front of pagans. Okay, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. And still others are participating, we find out, in religious prostitution, temple prostitution, which is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, and 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. Then, if that's not all, no, it's not all. There's the issues that Paul has to deal with about the Eucharist. And this is huge doctrinally. Certain members are being discriminated against. They're being discriminated against on a social strata, okay, because they're poor in the congregation. And the wealthier Christians are discriminating against them in the distribution of, or at, I should say, the Lord's table. We'll study that more in the future, okay? Works of charity in the church at Corinth were taken aback, a backseat to sensationalized worship. That was another problem that Paul would have to deal with, very much like today. We have this sensational, quote-unquote, worship in many of our churches in America. Uh, you've got everything from people laughing in the spirit, um, I've seen people barking in the spirit in the uh, latter rain movement in Toronto, Canada. Um, people coughing demons into bags, paper bags. Uh, people falling out in the spirit, shaking, convulsing, etc., etc. These sensationalized things that take place in worship uh, in Corinth are taking place today in Christianity where we live. Now, there were obviously exhibitions of ecstatic prayer that displayed more of a mystic pagan vibe um, than, than, there, than an orderly worship, which was indicative of real Christian communities and real Christian churches, or at least it should be, okay? 
And again, we have this today. We've got Christian mystics who worship in very odd and strange ways. We'll get into that more down the road. The Apostle Paul also had to deal with gender issues. Fortunately for us, they weren't confused about who their birthing parent was, but they had other gender issues. Certain women wanted to speak out during the church service in the congregation. They wanted to yell out to their husbands while church was going on. Okay, Other women didn't want to do the cultural norm at the time, which was covering their heads during prayer and so on and so forth. So Paul has to deal with that. There were also matters of conscience in regard to eating meat sacrificed to idols and in regard to what's sexually permissible in marriage. Um, You know, Paul says the attitude to be taken by the unmarried toward the married um, in view of the possible proximity or nearness of Christ's second coming. That's my paraphrase. In other words, basically, he's saying, look, yep, I'm getting ahead of myself. There are places in the scriptures, in Paul's writings, where it's pretty clear that at, a, at one time, Paul thought that the Lord was going to return in his lifetime. And sometimes he deals with problems with that context in mind, okay, the second coming. And when he deals with these sexual issues in Corinth, that's something that we'll have to wrestle with when we get there, but obviously not this morning. Uh, It was a regular patent place. If you are over 50, you'll know what that reference means. If you are under 50, you'll have no idea what patent place is, unless you're really up on your soap operas. Historical soap operas. Anyway. Then there was the very serious um, doctrinal issues concerning the resurrection uh, of the dead. There were a bunch of folks who were telling the Corinthians that, yeah, Jesus rose rose from the dead, uh, but you're not going to rise from the dead bodily. Okay? We'll deal with that. So, in order for Paul to deal with This vast array, and it is a vast array, that's what I want you to see this morning, of questions, concerns, and very specific problems, Paul writes this letter from Ephesus to the Corinthian church in uh, AD 56 or 57. Now, we need to understand that the majority of Corinthian Christians were quite faithful Okay, that's something we have to keep in mind. When I talk about up here about how messed up the church is in America, you have to keep in mind that the majority of the church is not messed up. There's that small fraction, I should say faction, of people that are messed up and they're trying to mess everybody else up. Okay? Paul writes on behalf of the ones he wants to guard against. Or, I'm sorry, that he, he wants to guard against them being messed up by these people. 
in this community. Uh, he writes, when you read the letter, he writes with confidence, he writes with authority, he writes with apostolic authority, he writes with mission and purpose, and he presumes, okay, that these guys are going to listen to him. He presumes they're going to do what he wants them to do. He doesn't hesitate to tell them where they should be to judge the situations and the problems, okay? So there's your introduction, folks. Uh, just a taste of what's coming in the weeks ahead. I pray that you will commit, please, to reading through 1 Corinthians at least one time. If you don't want to read it, listen to it on audio. But somehow get 1 Corinthians in you for the weeks to come so that we all can be on the same page and we delve into all of these things more specifically. Okay, let's pray.